it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The phone number to call to be on, 1-866-408-766. Now we're getting closer and closer uh, to Labor Day. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, my goodness, i got to do everything real quick before the summer ends, back to school, or uh, we turn the page. My sense is September will be extremely hot, and I think it, the summer will see, feels like it's going to be extended. Uh, I'll discuss all that and a little bit more substance with Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. He's got a few columns out and a message to Republicans when it comes to Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI clearly made a connection of Russian disinformation and the Hunter Biden release. The politics of their agents not being able to contain it in-house is causing them to say, we better do something. And that, of course, is the new rule by the Department of Justice. Do not pick a side when it comes to politics. Next. Number two. As for the Trump team's desire to have a special master appointed, well, the feds say, quote, the plaintiff's motion to appoint a special master enjoined further review of seized materials fails for multiple independent reasons. Well, there it is. The raid raucous. The DOJ fights back in fear of a special master, citing shoddy records, deceptive uh, stashing of important records at Mar-a-Lago as Trump bolsters his legal team. What are we to do? Number one. There's no place in this country, no place for endangering the lives of law enforcement. I'm opposed to defunding the police. I'm also opposed to defunding the FBI. Uh, It sounds like a guy that was not invested by the FBI, but was protected. Breaking news, Joe Biden and the Dems are tough on crime and want to fund police. Yeah. Why is crime rising in every major city, big and small, since he took office? Republicans, stop laughing. Let's make sure no one buys this. As Dems tell us border, the border is sealed, the Green Bill bill passed, and we'll reduce inflation, and we're not in a recession, and Afghanistan's exit was indeed a success, no joke. So that was the president's message yesterday. He's in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. He's going to spend a few days there. Why? Because his approval rating there is 34%. Senator Fetterman, excuse me, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, who's having trouble thinking because of his stroke, hope he gets better, but you got to wonder if he can do the job if he gets the job. He will not even debate because he says he's not ready yet because of his stroke. I don't know. If you're not ready yet, isn't that part of it? Isn't this one big tryout? How do you do under pressure? How do you do on issues? How do you do compared to the other guy? I don't think you could... Get the job. I didn't think up until President Biden got it without actually competing for it, although he doesn't have a pandemic to lean on. So president comes out yesterday and says, I have an idea. Let's start being against crime. Let's start blaming the gun and Republicans. Cut one. You know, I call it the Safer America's plan. And both your members of Congress voted for it. It's based on a simple notion. When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. Fund the police. Yeah, right. 
Now, Joe Biden is not captured saying defund the police. He's not that dumb. Uh, sadly, his party is that dumb and thinks that. We also remember the president said nothing when cities were being burned after the George Floyd, uh, during the George Floyd riots. The president said nothing uh, when you watch what was happening in Seattle on a daily basis with Antifa and clashes with police. The president says nothing as more and more people turned in their badge and they can't fill up an academy. And then he turns around and says, well, I gave money through the rescue plan to states to use for cops and nobody voted for the rescue plan on the Republican side. Number one, you put block money to these states and they put money where they needed it. They can't really hire police. And these Democratic mayors have no interest in hiring police. You don't believe me. We remember, Mr. President, where your party stood and stands. Cut to. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Yes, I support the defund movement. Talking about um, the reduction of our NYPD budget and defunding a $6 billion NYPD budget. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle. Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. I, I just don't want to go into the next show. That's why I cut it off. It goes on and on and on. Those are all squad members, but it goes on beyond the squad. And when you're silent... You're complicit, I believe, especially in the Democratic side. If someone on the right comes comes out, for example, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene comes out with a shirt that says to fund the FBI. It's a joke. It's terrible. Any Republican that doesn't go out and uh, and say it's a, it's a joke to sell that online. I don't care how much money you plan to make or how disappointed you are with the upper crust of the FBI. Defunding the FBI is not the answer. Reforming clearly is the answer. But the president wants to flip the script, and I just don't think – Cops families, cops themselves, people who have friends and family in law enforcement could possibly fall for the fact that suddenly the Democrats are for the police. Here is a match slap weighing in last night who also responded to the fact that the two days prior, the president called MAGA conservatives, people that voted for Donald Trump, fascists. Cut 12. Who's the fascist in this country? The one that would uh, the federal who believes the federal government should shut down your church shut down your school, say you can't report to the Marine Corps unless you have a vaccine. Who's the fascist in this country, the one that's waging the war on gender, on parents, on families, on every norm in society? Uh, You know, it's the left that, that are the fascists that are making your life so hard. And I think the American people understand that. And that's what this election is going to be about. It's going to be about the American people. And a lot of Democratic voters and independent voters saying, Stop with all the woke. Stop yeah. with all the socialism. We can't take it anymore. No kidding. Matt Schlapp making sense. Also in touch with more uh, Republicans than anyone else in the country, I would argue, because he runs CPAC, uh, especially his wife. And, and you know, listen, you know, he, he's for the nominee, who's ever the hot Republican is. And right now, the president's most popular, but most polarizing. I looked at the New York Post today. They're urging Republicans to move on. I hear Ben Shapiro urging, urging Republicans not to nominate Donald Trump because he wants to win and doesn't thinks doesn't think he can. But now the president got himself in some trouble here by bringing these boxes to Mar-a-Lago. I'm not sure if they're all uh, top secret or none of them are top secret. Whatever happens, why create problems? For example, if you know you go into a rough neighborhood, why walk around with a lot of cash in your pocket and put your chin out? You just don't do it. You try to be a little bit street smart, which the president is normally. So he takes these boxes out. And then ask for a special master after the raid. Now, the special master will be decided on as late as tomorrow at noon. The judge is thinking about it. So yesterday, 
the Department of Justice put out a multi-page release saying this is exactly why we don't need a special master. And there was a legitimate reason to raid Mar-a-Lago. He says the department argued that uh, Trump's uh, request of a special master fails for multiple independent reasons, saying it's both unnecessary and would harm national security interests. I don't buy any of that. Having a third party bonded to look at this without a agenda that hopefully both sides would agree roughly is the right person would go in and say, hey, Mr. President, take your passport back. Hey, Mr. President, you know that attorney-client privilege? All these documents, the FBI never should have looked at them. And then maybe point out for the FBI, this is confidential. Where'd you find it? This way we could get to the bottom of it and not have any doubt because the people's opinion matters. The FBI agents raided their property early this month, as you know. Now, the DOJ uh, says that they found some boxes moved that they said not to. They said that, according to the Yahoo report, that they told uh, the Department of Justice said that the Trump team would not let them look in certain boxes. Really? The FBI were told not to look in certain boxes? I'd like to hear that from them. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. And they said that there was top secret information in on the president's floor in his closet, and there were newspaper clippings with top secret confidential stuff. That, according to a senior DOJ official, maybe it's Merrick Garland. The government also developed evidence the government records were likely concealed or removed from the storage room. The FBI, in the matter of hours, recovered twice as many documents with classification markings as the diligent search from the president's counsel and other representative had weeks before uh, said because they didn't hand over everything. They had questions about everything. So here we go. Now, why such an effort to deny a special master? Especially when you're dealing with the FBI that was told to raid by Merrick Garland, who is having another agent walk out who's known to be politically biased against President Trump. And now we have conflicting reports on whether he actually is the one who personally suppressed the Hunter Biden story. Here's President Trump's attorney, Cut 17. The fact that they're coming forward and saying that there is something wrong with what is happening in the FBI and the fact that they believe in the Constitution and they believe in the oath that they took to defend it and be the law-abiding people that they're supposed to be, I commend them. I encourage them to come forward. It is what many people before them have done. It is so critical for our country, especially right now in this partisan crazy world that we're living in. Um, as to what happened with Merrick Garland putting out a statement saying that you can't speak to Congress, I find that really ironic and hypocritical, considering that January 6th had made a point of pulling people out that had no knowledge to come in and speak, even if they have no knowledge, and put forth some statement. Yeah, and what they're referring to is the fact that there's more and more facts emerging that show the FBI went out of its way to make sure the Hunter investigation that leads to the big guy doesn't move forward, especially before the election. So here's with Timmy Timbolt, uh, Timothy Timbolt, who reportedly had whistleblowers go to Grassley, Ron Johnson, Jim Jordan, and say this guy Timbolt uh, was told to everybody, stay away from the laptop, don't report it, don't move forward on it and made sure the investigation was buried up until a few weeks before when the New York Post got a hold of it, published it, and then all hell broke loose. Meanwhile, here's what his lawyer wrote yesterday. Mr. Tebalt welcomes any investigation of these false allegations, regardless of the retirement. He firmly believes that any investigation will, inc- will conclude that his supervision, leadership, and decision-making were not impacted by political bias or partisanship of any kind. He's confident that all of his decisions were consistent with the FBI's standards, for ethics and integrity, we will see. The president's got a new attorney. He's got some uh, firm backers. 
and we know a lot is at stake. So when we come back, I'll take your calls and then welcome in Rich Lowry and finish up with more of your calls and more of your and more insight. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's damage control. There's no coincidence in my mind that you have the Joe Rogan interview that reveals that the FBI clearly made a connection of Russian disinformation and the Hunter Biden release. You then have some of the specific agents in question like Thebolt, not to mention you have Jim Jordan who goes on and is indicating that they are going to do a lot of oversight if they regain control of the House. To me, what I see is a DOJ, not to mention Merrick Garland now, has announced new rules with political appointees. Why all this all of a sudden? I think it's because it's starting to get away from them. The politics of their agents, the politics of the office, not being able to contain it in-house is causing them to say, we better do something. That is Brett Tolman, uh, former U.S. attorney. He sees a pattern. Washington Times wrote last night, he thinks they're, uh, Christopher Ray has lost the trust of the entire agency, the entire bureau. Remember, whistleblowers didn't go to Christopher Ray and say, I got a problem with my superior. They went to Senator Grassley, Senator Ron Johnson, Jim Jordan, and others. John, listen on WHLO in uh, Akron, HIO in uh, Akron, Ohio. Hey, John. Good morning, Hello. Brian. Um, uh, I, the the Mar-a-Lago raid is actually twofold in a purpose. Uh, what was Trump doing prior to that raid? He was out rallying, endorsing components, right? Yep. And what's he doing now? He's too he's too tied up with what's going on. He hasn't been out rallying, hasn't set up anything. He so will be in a couple of that, days. Which is good, but he hasn't. They're trying to tie him up, too. For one thing, uh, Liz Cheney, after she lost, made the statement that had Donald Trump not endorsed her opponent, she would have won. And after that, she said Donald Trump uh, rallying and endorsing opponents is interfering with an election. So I think that was actually part of their plan also is not not only to smear him, but to kind of tie him up and prevent him from doing these rallies. Um, No, I I think the pandemic effectively did that, uh, stopped him. He ends up doing it anyway and still getting some blowback because of it. What it does is it's swamped the Republican Party. So they have this great story to tell on inflation because the president's policies are so poor. Uh, They got to back up Afghanistan. The president's policies are so poor. Biggest disaster in American military history. When it comes to gas and energy and utility bill, have you looked at it lately? It's tripled. This is the story the Republicans want to say, look, this is what you got for a year and a half. We could help stop it if you let us win the midterms. But now they're talking about this raid. I think it works the Democrats advantage. Buck Sexton joined me last night on with Jesse. I'll be on the five tonight. Listen to what he said about this whole investigation. And the fact is, uh, well, there's a lot. Cut 22. There are a lot of people within the federal bureaucracy and the intel agencies on the law enforcement side who are effectively activists. We refer to them as the deep state. We refer to them as people who are partisans acting behind the shield or acting behind some legal authority that they have. And this is systemic. I mean, we often hear that term from the left. This is a problem that needs to be addressed. And it keeps happening in a way that we see 
who they favor. In the, on the disinformation uh, situation, for example, which just came out with Mark Zuckerberg, why does the FBI think they're even in the disinformation policing game? Well, as we know, that always, that always applies to anything that would hurt a Democrat and help a Republican in an election. That then becomes disinformation. That's how social media and apparently the FBI view it. Interesting. Um, I think so. I mean, that's from an analyst perspective, from a CIA perspective. And I did ask him a little bit later. I said, listen, it, the fact is, if you had a problem with the CIA and you didn't go to the director, what does that tell you? Since it tells you that you're going to get fired and you feel as though you cannot trust that this story is going to remain secret, that means if you don't trust the guy or woman in charge, you keep it to yourself, you go to an outside whistleblower. And that's what we had, an outside whistleblower. I want to pivot, if I can, to local, to national politics. This big theme out here for the last few weeks has been momentum is on the Democratic side. Dr. Oz is a terrible candidate. Uh, Mastriano has no shot in Pennsylvania. Herschel Walker really can't get out of his own way. I'm thinking to myself, what am I missing? I don't really see it much on television. Locally, they're doing their own thing. I went and saw Herschel on the move. I talked to Dr. Oz often. Mastriano was on my show three weeks ago. He's, a, he's got a Ph.D. in history. And he just feels as though the 2020 election should have went to Donald Trump, and he's pretty sure he believes Democrats were behind it. So, but that doesn't mean he should be excommunicated. A lot of Republicans not happy with it, but he's within four points. Dr. Oz, there's no way he's double digits behind. I think he's within probably four points. And I will say this. The fact is that Fetterman won't debate. Unbelievable. He says he's not ready yet. If you're not ready to debate, you're not ready to have the job. If you're not ready to have the job, don't run for the job. So I might, you know, if he's not running for the job, I wish him the best regardless. But don't take away Dr. Oz's greatest asset, the ability to ad-lib and be confident on his feet to know the issues inside and out, to not have to run from your record. Fetterman's afraid he's going to be caught telling the truth. He wants to legalize pot. He wants a socialist country. This guy wants to stop fracking. That's everything Pennsylvanians don't want. Now the other news, Emerson Paul, Senator Warnock trails Herschel Walker by two full points. So despite millions of dollars, despite the fact that Herschel Walker has not really done much nationally, people that know him locally and hearing all the negative things about what he did or didn't do with the police force. And now they're trying to say his company isn't a multi-billion dollar, million dollar company, which is flat out wrong. Despite all the attacks, he's two points up. So that's pretty impressive, especially when you consider Warnock, who he beat in order to change the balance of Congress. So to me, that's pretty important. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Rich Lowry about the message for an effective Republican who might be pro-life and so happy that Roe v. Wade is now history. But at the same time, no other people aren't and need their vote. How do you handle it? Rich Lowry thinks he's got a way. He'll be joining us next. Brian Kilmeachow. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And by the way, no one expects politics to be a patty cake. It sometimes gets mean as hell. But the idea you turn on the television and see senior senators and congressmen saying, if such and such happens, there'll be blood in the street. Where the hell are we? 
Yeah, the same guy that just said semi-fascist, all Republicans, uh, from the same party that had a governor, has a governor in New York say, if you're not a Republican, if you're not a conservative, just leave the state and go to Florida. So the president's referring to Lindsey Graham, who said, if they're going to go out and arrest Donald Trump after all the the revelations that have come out about the FBI and their dealings against the president, you're going to have a hard time. So the president, Jim Lindsey Graham, came out, and he clarified that last night. I was on uh, Jesse Waters' show. I thought— but we pretty much put that in the rearview mirror. But he is using that in Pennsylvania, where he's got 36% approval rating. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review. Welcome back, Rich. Hey, Brian. How's it going? So the president was yesterday saying he's now pro-law uh, enforcement. He, of course, enforced the borders now sealed. And that big package that he passed was for that first package, rescue package, was really for the cops. Yeah. <laughs> None of these things are true. Yeah, I love that they, they started doing this uh, last year when they realized crime is such a problem. They're like, oh, oh yeah, the, the COVID relief bill, there's all, all this money for law enforcement, right, which which no one was aware of when it actually passed. So it's the correct position for him, the, the fact that it hasn't been uh, effectuated in democratic cities around the country, especially these horrible um, prosecutors. And Exhibit A is, is New York City and, and New York State, where you have a, a bail law that makes it impossible to um, – lock anyone up, basically. And we, we have family friends who, uh, the guy, uh, the father's a cop, they're, they're immigrants, great American story. And it's just, you know, he just tells, uh, it makes you want to weep, the, the stories he tells. Everyone's afraid. All the cops are afraid. Uh, they can't fight criminals anymore, really. It's, it's hard for them to win, you know, fistfights because they can't use the chokeholds to, to put put a dangerous person down. They know that people are going to be right back out on the street. They have to sit around and watch people smoke pot and shoot up dope. So it's just terrible. And no wonder you have, have um, police leaving the, the, the forces around the country in, in droves. Yeah, you so cannot... Biden's not directly responsible for that, but his party is. All right. So Fetterman doesn't show up yesterday, but he said, by the way, uh, he doesn't want to be seen with the president right now. So he goes, he's got a few, a few stops in Pennsylvania going to Pittsburgh. So he's going to be there and trying to get up his 36 percent approval rating in that state. So Fetterman goes, I'm not going to go with you. But for Fetterman, he's not going to go anywhere. This guy's not going to debate. He says he's not ready yet. Have you ever seen this before, Rich? Not going to debate because he's not ready yet? Yeah, well, it's it's one. It's a terrible situation. I I, I wish him a, a swift recovery, but he's he's not recovered yet. And you had that video, the the rally. I think it was last week, where he was just garbling words. You, you felt sorry for him. It's, it's not his fault, but a huge element of, of what it is involved in being a U.S. senator is talking, you know, talking on TV, talking on the floor, talking to constituents. And my understanding is that he, he also has a hard time understanding the spoken word, that, that it needs to you know, written communication, he's fine. So that's just going to be a, a significant obstacle to performing his role in office. Now, it's delicate. You know, you, you don't want to make a blatant use of that because it'll seem insensitive, but it's a real issue. And this is one of the reasons why I think Oz, you know, although some of the polling um, before the last week or so looked just horrible, I've never counted him out. Uh, he's not. I mean, I, I think he's winning, and I would not yet, but I think he is going to be winning because he's not dealing with a moderate. I mean, Tim Ryan's pretending he's a yeah. uh, moderate. Fetterman's pretending to the extreme. He doesn't want fracking. I mean, this guy wants to legalize pot. He doesn't want uh, voter ID. And he also wants to be Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders would not get elected in Pennsylvania. And it's up for Dr. Oz to outline that and go out and try to heal some wounds. Perhaps that existed because he beat Dave McCormick. And McCormick had a lot of the Trump establishment with him as well as the Republican establishment with him, even though he was a rookie as well. What about Emerson's college's that shows Raphael Warnock is losing it to Herschel yep. Walker. 
Yep. Uh, very notable. Also, that race, I, I've always thought Herschel is going to end up winning. He, he hasn't been, you know, God bless him, he hasn't been a very impressive candidate. He's he's not going to be a, a policy wonk. But he, is, he it just comes through in everything he said. He's a sweet man, you know, and he's had a, a, a lot of struggles, and he's he's forthright about those. And Kemp is, is going to beat Abrams, you know, I think fairly handily, kind of in Georgia terms, it's a it's a new state, um, and I, and I think help help uh, Herschel get over the top either um, in the in November or in a special election, which is what it might take. He's got to get to fifty percent. But this is why, even though it's definitely true that the the red wave looks um, not as strong as you know I would have thought a month or two ago, you, it's still easy to see how Republicans can take the Senate. Um, you know, and and if Oz can can hold Toomey's seat in Pennsylvania, that makes it a lot, lot easier. Here's uh, Newt Gingrich on, on Georgia. Cut 25. I think the Biden-Warnock ticket is going to go down in flames. Um, my guess is he'll be lucky to get 46 percent of the vote by the time this is over. He's far too radical for Georgia. Uh, he should have been defeated two years ago. And as people get to know his record and get to realize how much he's a racist, how much he's hostile to America, how much he's tied into Joe Biden. Uh, I think all these things come to bear. I do. And what you're not factoring in with uh, most people are not factoring in with Herschel Walker is his business background. He's got this incredible chicken Mm -hmm. business where he's got contracts uh, with these major companies and he's able to uh, be the conduit for all these other companies. Uh, and he's uh, what he's been able to do is become make a, a multi-million dollar corporation with very little overhead uh, because he got there first. A lot of people wanted to do business with Herschel Walker, and he figured it out. So yeah, he does you know, that. I, this, didn't, this, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I follow this stuff. But you're a Herschel Walker expert because you're down there with a, him a day or two. And they explained it to me. Right? And they explained yeah. it to me. And I, I had someone else come up to me, believe it or not. I'm at the bagel shop in Amityville, New York. And I go up top and they said, Brian, I saw you with Herschel Walker and could you – I wish I knew ahead of time because I want to say hello to him. And I said, why? He said, well, um, I used to buy chicken from him and threw him. <laughs> and I go, really? Why? And she used to tell me about his business uh, and how on top of it he was and how he was a, a guy that was working 20 hours a week and always available. And a lot of people look. They look at him and they say, listen, can I get a picture with you? Yeah. He goes, you want to do business with us? Absolutely. So he started using it. For example, if people wanted to – you know, hey, I love the exclusive uh, uh, tour around the National Review offices, Rich. If that helps you get advertisers, you go ahead and do it. Yeah, so I'm not enough. I'm not enough a salesman to pull it off, Brian. Uh, unfortunately. But, you know, but by the way, anytime anyone mentions Amityville, maybe I'm dating myself here. I get chills from from the movie about the haunted house with the red eyes out the window. Yeah, it's still there, and, it, <laughs> and people still buzzing by every single day. Including, it's now a pet store that was the bar. That after he oh, killed really? his parents, Lutz killed his I think uh, it's Lutz, killed his parents and went to the corner bar. It's no longer a bar. It's a pet store. So uh, just so okay. you know. But real Good quick, Rich, back to you. You said uh, you wrote a column, uh, and it's out, that says, hey, Republicans, uh, Roe v. Wade is gone. The Dobbs decision is real. Now it's a state decision. Even if you're pro-life, there's a way to handle this in order for you to win in a purple or a blue state. What is your advice? Well, it's, it's very simple. And – you see Republicans sort of uh, crab walking their, their way to this. Uh, it's not necessarily pretty to watch, but I think a lot of them are getting in the right place, which is 
look, I'm, I'm pro-life. I want to protect every unborn child eventually. But I know that's not politically sustainable now. I'm gonna, I have a lot of persuasion to do, a lot of convincing to do the, the public to get there. But in the meantime, I support a 15-week ban or whatever it is. You know, these, these um, kind of compromise restrictions do have um, significant support in the polling. They're politically defensible. Stay, you know, put your stake down somewhere in that ground and then point at the other side and say, but look, they, they support abortion for all nine months with f- federal funding in any circumstance whatsoever. They're the extremists. It just seems to me that's obvious where the party needs to go. And it, it doesn't necessarily just have to be at the state level. What, what's happened here is the court has given it back, the issue back to representative institutions, including Congress. So I think it would be helpful if congressional Republicans had some sort of consensus proposal like that. Mm-hmm. So the, the confused you know, Republican out in a state doesn't know necessarily what to do can just say, well, I'm in favor of uh, you know, this federal legislation. So um, they, they desperately need something like that because they've, they've been getting killed on the issue to this point. And it's closed the gap on the enthusiasm and for, for younger people. So, Rich, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you know this, but on Meet the Press over the weekend, uh, Adam Kinzinger, the Republican, called you out. Uh, and he said basically because you haven't just uh, divorced yourself from Trump or Trump voters. Listen. I had a lot of respect for Rich Lowry. I still read him on occasion. It's been amazing to watch his pivot from kind of intellectual conservative to like this anti-anti-Trumper. So he's against people that are against Trump. He's not necessarily for him. And so he's constantly with this, well, there may be not precedence. Of course there's not precedence. We've never had a president of the United States attempt a coup against the United States of America. So there's no precedence. And if we need a new law, let's get a new law. But I'm quite sure that some of the laws can cover this. The DOJ seems very convinced of it. Your reaction to him going after you. (laughs) You heard that, right? Well, I, I, I would put my uh, record of consistency uh, up against uh, almost anyone, you know. And but, but I haven't become deranged, you know. And and I think uh, Adam has. And the idea that okay, well, well, maybe Trump hasn't violated a law in the books now, so let's write one that we can prosecute him uh, with is crazy. That that's not how our, our justice system works. And the point I'm making, I'm not you know defending anything that happened on on January 6th. I'm just saying that that the the criminal statutes don't directly apply to. It. And if you stretch to try to get them, it's not going to have legitimacy. So, you know, this is this is the world I've lived in for four or five years. You know, the, like the Trump, the Russia stuff. I say, okay, they shouldn't have had the meeting in Trump Tower, but I don't think he's a Russian agent. Like, oh, you tr- pro-Trump hack. You know, it's it's absurd. So, you know, I, I've just been calling them as I see them the best I can. Haven't gotten everything right. And uh, if Adam Kinzer does, Kinzinger doesn't like it, too bad. All right. So I want to move forward and talk about what the news came down yesterday. Ninety-one-year-old uh, Mikhail. Gorbachev passes away, uh, what he was able to do, take down the Soviet Union, expose communism for something that doesn't work, allow these nations to reassert their own identity, and Vladimir Putin is trying to reconstitute the whole thing. Remember, he and Reagan made history. Bush finished it off. Here's Ronald Reagan at the historic time. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. What can you tell us about those moments and what it meant? 
I'm such a sucker. I still get chills listening to that that speech, one of the historic speeches of the the 20th century. So Gorbachev is important to realize. You know, his goal wasn't to, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, right? He thought he was saving it, but through reforming it. Uh, just uh, trying to reform it, just you know, lost lost political control. And to his great credit, when it was clear things were spinning out of control, didn't bring out the army, didn't crush um, the protesters and and the people, and and let it dissolve. And that, that that is a a great achievement. George Will has a, a great column about this, though, about the irony here, because the the Chinese Communist Party looked at that and said, okay. That's what we're never going to do, right? We're we're never going to let things get any anywhere close to that to that point. So they've they've preserved their system, and it's become arguably more dangerous than than the Soviet Union ever was. In part because they're looking at uh, mm-hmm. what Gorbachev did as a negative example. Yeah, they thought that the 50 year old guy would probably be there for 40 years, and then you know there's a coup. Uh, Yeltsin stands up uh, and fights back, and then he mm-hmm. welcomes in the CIA to run the country again. When he drinks himself out of office and through corruption, in comes Vladimir Putin, and we're dealing with this menace today, our modern-day Stalin. Uh, Rich, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. You uh, you got it. 1-866-408-7669. I'll see you just around the bend. A lot to discuss today. Peter Navarro has a hearing today. The president's going to find out about a special master before noon tomorrow. That could come down today. And so glad you have not started your vacation yet, and you're listening to me on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm determined to ban assault weapons in this country. Determined. I did it once before. And I'll do it again. Uh, So, okay, crime's going up. Blame the gun. Guess what? The reason why there is a problem in this country? Blame Republicans because they didn't vote for him. So those two things stand out. Now, he wants to go blame the gun, and he wants to ban assault weapons, and he says he wants all these people that don't vote for the assault weapons voted out. Well, the problem is five of the people that voted against the assault weapon uh, ban are Democrats. What a shame. Does he even look and talk to other people about who we should ban? Or is that part of it? If you don't, uh, if you're not part of the Democratic Party, you're a semi-fascist. Governor Hochul comes out and says, I want you out of my state. If you are Zeldin, Trump, or um, or Mariano, or Malinaro, rather. If you are a conservative, go to Florida. Do you believe that? Instead of if you don't vote for me, I'll try to win you over. If you don't, if I don't win you over, just know I'm going to work for you. What happened to that? So Henry Cuellar, Vicente Gonzalez, Jared Golden, they have one thing in common. They're still running for office and one of the five representatives who voted to oppose the assault weapon ban. He's also pro-life as Henry Cuellar. He also would like this crazy thing, the border enforced, because it's overwhelming his communities. Now FEMA is paying not only to five people to different states, many of them blue states. They're now paying to get people. If you come to this country, we bust you wherever you want to go. It's unbelievable that we're doing that, because if you do that once, let alone thousands of times, you will bring thousands of more people, maybe millions of more people, and that's what we're doing. So that's what's happening at the border. So our old Ortiz is the Border Patrol chief right now under President Biden. He was asked by the Attorney General of Florida a few questions. And I think you'd be very 
interested in his answers because he's being honest, not political. Listen, cut 26. When President Biden was elected, did the number of aliens trying to legally enter the United States increase or decrease? Objection. Increase. In my experiences, we have, in my experience, we have seen increases uh, when there are no consequences. There is an assumption that if migrant populations are told that uh, there is a potential that they may be released, that yes, you can see increases. So it will increase at an exponential rate. Is that what is being suggested here? Objection. <laughs> well, I do think it will increase. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness he ran right through the objection. Because he wants to answer honestly, because he wants to solve this. It's not political. It's his daily life. It's easy for President Biden, who has never been to the border ever in his life, to go ahead and bike on the sand in Delaware and hang out and don't get briefed on the Afghanistan debacle, even though they spend millions of dollars to write it up about what went wrong so you maybe don't do it again. You could do all those things, go on vacation more than any other president But you don't want to take the time to go to the border, so he's actually speaking up. Let me give you an idea how bad it is. They compare what's happening in 2022 so far. We're not even done. To 2020. In 2020, uh, there were uh, 297,000 Mexicans who tried to get into our country. Apprehensions. In 2022, 693,000. It gets worse. When it comes to Guatemala, 48,000 tried to get here. In 2022, 200,000. El Salvador. In 2020, 17,000 tried to get here. Okay. In 2022, 84,000. Honduras, 41,000. Now 182,000. Colombia, about 404. Now 97,000. Listen to this on Cuba. 13,000 from the communist country. Now 175,000. In Venezuela, from 2,700 to 128,000. That is President Biden's baseball card. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by David Friedman. He served as the U.N. ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Israel from 2016 to 2021. Man, is he upset, and so am I, about the imminent signing of this Iranian deal with that horrible outlaw country. Great people, horrible government. Lieutenant Colonel Alvin North knows all about Iran. He's going to be with us in a matter of moments, but I also want to get his perspective on the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev and what he did to take down the wall and take down the Soviet Union because it was falling apart, rotting away. He'll bring us back to it. So before we get to these great guests, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI clearly made a connection of Russian disinformation and the Hunter Biden release. The politics of their agents not being able to contain it in-house is causing them to say, we better do something. I would say so. And that was Brett Tolman, FBI in crisis. We are all in danger because of it. And not having the esteemed agency fighting for us, we have the latest on the disgraced agents for a failed, uh, from a failed director on down. Number two. As for the Trump team's desire to have a special master appointed, well, the feds say, quote, the plaintiff's motion to appoint a special master enjoined further review of seized materials fails for multiple independent reasons. 
Yes, that was Kevin Cork. Breaking news. Joe Biden and the Dems are tough on crime. Yeah, and want to fund the police. Really? Why is crime rising in every city, big and small, since he took office? Republicans, stop laughing. Let's make sure no one buys this. Like we know when they said the border sealed. When the new green bill passed, they told us it was inflation reduction. And we're, in, we're not in a recession, despite that we're in a recession. And Afghanistan's exit, a big success. No joke. A man who knows President Biden very well or knows of him, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, joins us now. Colonel, always great to talk to you. Brian, you're amazing. <laughs> you really are. Well, I mean, you, got, you, you nailed it. Yeah. I mean, first off, on the, on the latest story, I mean, you have President Biden out there yesterday saying he's tough on crime, uh, saying blame Republicans for the anarchy in our country and division who are now uh, semi-fascists. And the reason this crime is because of guns on the streets, because Republicans let them be. And I'm thinking to myself, the people of Pennsylvania gave you a 34 percent approval rating for a reason. Do you worry that people buy that that aren't as invested in this as we are? I hope not. You know, the bottom line of all of this stuff that's going on inside our government, there is no department or agency of the federal government, not at the White House, not on Capitol Hill. None of the none of the panels that are supposed to do what they're supposed to do just to make sure that our country's being protected. None of them are working well because there's no integrity at the top of any department or agency. Uh, and the crime as bad as you've seen it, or do you remember this harking you back to the 80s or 70s? Well, look, in the, in the 70s, in the, in the late 60s, you had enormous protests going on about the war, right up until the time Richard Nixon convinced the Congress and the states to enact the provisions so that 18-year-olds could vote and that we're not going to draft anymore. I mean, there's no conscription. They still have to register for the draft, but you, no one is going to be called up after 1973. The riots that used to occur, I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, and we used to have to march to the Navy Marine Corps Stadium where the football games would be played. And you'd walk down the street, and if you got through that march without red paint or blood being thrown on you, it was amazing. And that, so what you've, what you've got today is wow. total lawlessness, anarchy. The, it's not even Marxist. It's Leninist. It's Stalinist, what we've got going on. So you saw some of that with the raid at Mar-a-Lago. You're seeing that on the streets of America. You had 13 cities that were darn near burned to the ground in, in, in the aftermath of the election in 2020. You've got the, the horrible fiasco of shutting down the entire country over COVID because You've got this guy, Fauci, who's telling everybody you've got to wear a mask everywhere you go when you, when you go to bed at night. You, you, you've got the, the kids of America being sent home from school. You've got a disaster coming out of, of what, two million youngsters who are never going to go back to public schools again because you've got the teachers union running the education system for our kids and teaching third graders, you know, that their gender is wrong. All of those kinds of things, which we, Ronald Reagan used to remind us. That you can lose the liberties and the freedoms we have in one generation. And by golly, that's happening with this crowd. All right. You haven't been in office three years yet, and you've got a disaster everywhere you look at it. All right, so, not even two years. Uh, I know. Yeah. Let's talk about a year since Afghanistan. Uh, for right now, I feel like nobody's talking about it except us. We have a special on FoxNews.com. Uh, yeah. Digital's done a great job. Uh, we have had... Uh, I've done it in almost every show I've done, especially this one last night with Jesse and on Fox & Friends every single day. What is your takeaway from this and the fact that the president's getting away without even addressing it? Well, I've heard people, you know, talking heads on TV talking about this anniversary, one year since Afghanistan, and they're saying, you know, we're, we're in better shape today than we were before. We're not. If you, if you think about what happened on October 7th, 
2001, I'm sorry, 2011, okay, 9-11-01, right. I went in with Mattis, landed at Red Beach, it turned out we couldn't say where we really were landing, but that was the first conventional military force to go on the ground. Special operators had been up north for three weeks, bringing Karzai back down to Kandahar, and all of that was taking place with a very fine military. We don't have that military anymore. We're running out of ammunition. It's been it's been uh, licensed over to Ukraine. We're not replenishing. Well, not only that, but Ukraine's actually got some better weapons than we do right now. I mean, go to Taiwan. When when Pelosi was going to Taiwan, the Communist Chinese under Xi threatened that they were going to shoot down the airplane. The answer to that should have been, let's send every possible anti-ship and anti-aircraft weapon we've got available in the in the Pacific. Send it right now to Taiwan. That would have sent the kind of message that they needed to hear. But what they're seeing is the consequence of what happened a year ago. Xi is seeing that. Putin is seeing that. And the reaction is this is an administration that can't find its butt with both hands. And what they're trying to do is make sure that they can take advantage of that. And they have been. You know, Putin's right. not worried about the United States being a, a major military force anymore. And it's not. The only service that's meeting its, its end strength requirements and strength is determined by recruiting goals and reenlistment goals. We had, up until this year, the finest military the world has ever seen. The reenlistment rate in every service except the Marine Corps is way below what they need. The Army's going to come up 30,000 short by the, the end of the year. The, the it's unbelievable. The but who would want to join, especially after Afghanistan? Well, true. Uh, and and we'll the only reason the Marine Corps is making its end strength requirements is because they're cutting the end strength. I mean, there, there'll be 25,000 fewer Marines at the end of this year than there were at the beginning of this year. And because of all of those things, when you've got incompetence, no accountability, no responsibility for what happened a year ago today. Uh, Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev passed away at the age of 91. Uh, uh-huh. here, is, uh, here is him responding uh, to the coup attempt. They, they, they thought he was going to be in power for 40 years. He looked around and said, communism is not working. Our, our economy is really hollowed out, never recovered from Afghanistan. And the KGB rises up and try to overthrow him. Here's how it sounded. I'm still the president. Nobody's taking my place. Everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing and carrying out their functions. Whether I am more calm and confident now than I was before, uh, I didn't lose my balance then and I haven't lost it now. I'm fully confident uh, that what we are doing is ultimately necessary and I will do everything that's in my power. Uh, to do everything uh, necessary, nobody's going to uh, uh, take me out of the action. The choice has been made. So, you're, how significant was it? how significant was well, this man? Well, you got to remember that Reagan used to joke about the fact he said, "I don't know who's going to be running Russia, or the Soviet Union tomorrow," because Brezhnev had been there, Andropov, former head of the C, of the KGB, uh, Chernenko, and now uh, Gorbachev from 1985 to 81, to 91. When you look at the, the, the leadership of Gorbachev, Perestroika and Glasnost did not succeed for him. He's still inside Russia today. Anybody who's a follower of Vladimir Putin says he was the worst leader they ever had because it was the end of the Soviet Union. I will, let me just share a couple of real quick things about it, because everybody loves to play that wonderful tear down the wall Mr. Gorbachev speech that President Reagan gave in June of 87 in Berlin. What really was important was what happened in Reykjavik the previous year. October 11 and 12, 1986, they have a summit in Reykjavik. It was supposed to be going on for three to four days. It lasted 
just a little bit over 24 hours. And that's because Reagan told him straight out, you are not going to succeed. Economically, you can't make it. Politically, you can't make it. And we're going to continue to build a strategic defense initiative, which, of course, the mainstream media called Star Wars. All right. Just before that meeting, I was in the room when Herb Meyer, who was the NIO, the National Intelligence Officer for the Soviet Union, told the President of the United States, the Soviet Union will not exist a decade from now. He was off by a few years, but he was absolutely right. And Reagan said, well, why? Herb says, because there won't be enough people in Russia. And he's absolutely right. Herb Meyer was absolutely right in predicting the end of the Soviet Union. He just got it off by a couple of years in terms of how long it would take. That's what brought the wall down. That's what brought Gorbachev down. And Gorbachev, with Glasnost and Perestroika, didn't really know where it was going to end up. He, t- he utterly failed. I mean, the idea that you could now end up with a Vladimir Putin playing Stalin yeah. never occurred to him. And so... Yeah, okay. He, he, did, he did some deals. He did the, inter, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces, the INF Treaty. He had no choice. He had no choice. And he knew his people could not build anything like Star Wars, or as we call it, Strategic Defense Initiative. Unfortunately, we've since had a, a Biden administration that has basically let the other side, both Russia and China, build the kinds of weapon systems and build the kind of militaries that are a threat to freedom. What's happening in Europe? Z is fine on Russia taking over Eastern Europe, if that's what they want, fine. Because Z's goal is to dominate the rest of the world, okay? And he's succeeding at it. He's intimidated the United States. Thank God somebody at the Pentagon did something right for a change. They sent two U.S. Navy battlecruisers into the Taiwan Straits. Reagan used to do that all the time. Every time yeah. there would be a threat from somebody like, you know, Muammar Gaddafi, he would send what we call a freedom of navigation exercise, running right through the so-called line of death or all, all those kinds of things. And they didn't dare attack him. At one point, they launched a couple of MiGs, and the, the Libyans did, and the aircraft right. from the aircraft carrier, I think it was Saratoga at the time, shot him down. And so I want you to hear, I want to bring you through, I know I know what he did with Libya, just to, keeping it with Russia for a second, here's yeah. Bush 41, as, the, as Gorbachev uh, would give way to Yeltsin, but talking about we're this, this, you know, trying to land the plane here without all overall anarchy. Here's, here he is. In a historic first for arms control, we will actually reduce U.S. and Soviet strategic nuclear arsenals. The document before us marks a moral achievement. There is a growing realization of the absurdity of overarmament. So that was where we were then. Uh, yeah. We have lost that rationalization today. Oh, we, we've lost. Here, look, at the bottom line of all of our conversation right now is we've got an opportunity to fix this. We can start fixing it on November 8th this year if enough patriots go to the polls. doesn't have to be Republicans, but it's got to be conservative po- politicians who get elected this November or we're up the crick. And that means both the House and the Senate. We can put the brakes on the craziness of this administration. I mean, the terrible damage that's being done to our economy, the terrible damage that's being done to our national security, those can be fixed when we, the people, go to the polls. We've got to make sure that right. we do. So a couple of things. We have uh, taken our hand off the wheel in Iraq. We, we, used, we told the uh, Pompeo, told the government, he goes, if you, every time you guys knew you were around, you have the threat of losing our military and financial support. So they were 
somewhat staying away. And now this president has no interest in Iraq. We had a coup attempt, Mokhtar al-Assad walking away. We have the pro-Iranian government in power with no public support. So we basically lit that fire. And now we're about to sign on to an Iranian deal. Your take on this moment. This is one of the most dangerous things that's ever happened to our country. The the, the corruption, the, the rampant behavior about everything from the Green New Deal all the way through what's being taught to our kids in school. All of it's the consequence of this administration and a complicit Congress. Look, there's a troika running America today. You know, when you looked at the kinds of troikas that were put together in both the Soviet Union and in, in communist China, those were the kinds of people who wanted only one thing, power. Yep. All right? The troika that's running America right now is Biden, Schumer, and Pelosi. That's the troika. We can start fixing that this November 8th if enough patriots show up at the polls. We, the people, still govern. I hear you. Uh, Colonel Alvernor, thanks so much for your recollections. Uh, you're still living through history, and hopefully we, we, make, we turn the corner in a Strangely few months. enough, some people make history, some people write history, some people study history. I got to do all three. And that book, Oliver North and Bob Hamer, The Giant Awakes, is all about communist China. It's a novel. And, the, and Jake Cruz really is a real person. Actually, he's three real people. But I, I am not totally down on the FBI. I've got sitting right here in front of me my coffee cup. It says, good morning, sir. I see the assassins have failed again. And that's because brave FBI agents mm-hmm. came and took down the terrorists who were trying to get into our house and kill my wife and kids. So thank God we've got some great agents. What we need is real leadership at the Department of Justice and the FBI. Do you want Donald Trump to run again? I want anybody who's going to run who was doing what he was doing when he was president of the United States. He's, he had our country on a trajectory that was going to protect our security, protect our economy, protect our kids. And that's what we need. Right. I, I don't care what their last names are. What I care about is what they do. And what they're doing today is all wrong. And they've got to be able to get uh, elected. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alvinor, thanks so much. Semper Fi, buddy. God you bless got you. it. Uh, the Oliver North, uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll put it all in perspective with you in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of the questions that I want to answer, Shannon, is why in the hell did a president of the United States, a former president of the United States, have to have these kind of documents in his basement? I've seen videos and I've seen pictures of these documents, and these are documents that could hurt and harm the United States of America, and I'm very troubled by that, and that's the question I want. When it comes to a special master, I don't believe a a special master is necessary. They bought, they told the magistrate judge who signed this warrant that they were going to have a filter team there, and what they had was that filter team, they filtered out the attorney-client privilege information. So I respect Ted Williams, obviously, D.C. homicide detective. Uh, He's a lawyer. And uh, listen, I don't know why the president took all this stuff home. Number one, I thought it was his. He could declassify it. I've never been president. Uh, I will say this. They've been through my house. If they went through my house for nine hours, there'd be a lot of papers on the floor, especially the FBI is not known for being clean, nor do they have to be. If you talk to Roger Stone, if you talk to Michael Flynn, if you talk to Manafort, uh, they kind of wreck the place. 
And in the end, when I see papers on the floor and a picture sent out, I'm wondering why you're doing that. You came out and made a statement that the president had some documents in his office. You came out and made a statement that you said they, they would not allow him to have access to all these boxes. They said they could show them the boxes, not the contents of them. He said, okay, leave them in there and lock it up. So they had reason to believe that he might be sharing them. What is the reason you believe that? So have a special master come in there and say, what is this? And to have a filter team that is also part of the FBI and CIA, excuse me, the FBI and, and DOJ doesn't make President Trump feel good. And you know why? Because he had a little bit of a problem. Could run down about 11 FBI agents who tried to destroy him. And we're, un- and, uh, we're unable to. When we come back, one of the president's great accomplishments, Abraham Accords in Jeopardy, David Friedman. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You have a lot of chirping voices in the administration and in Congress saying, no, this is just a return to the 2015 deal, which was in place before this law was enacted, and therefore you don't need to. So it wouldn't surprise me at all, Trey. I don't trust this crew as far as I could throw them. Uh, They are just desperate to get back in any kind of a deal, even if it's a horrible deal. The Iranians know it, uh, and that's why they're taking their lunch money all day long. That is Michael Waltz, uh, concerned like everybody is who following this, that we're about to walk into an Iranian deal, not getting verified by the Senate again, uh, and just unilaterally put it together. And there will be ramifications if we try to get out of it, uh, because the president will be concerned that when he doesn't get reelected or uh, when he doesn't run, that somebody else is going to walk in there and say, this is terrible. I'm going to rip it up again. That's what Iran is holding out for. And that's why I do, do think they're going to get the deal that they want. Sadly, David Friedman worked so hard to convince the president to rip it up and push forward with the Abraham Accords. Uh, he served the United States ambassador to Israel from 2017 to 2021 and author of Sledgehammer, How Breaking with the Past Brought Peace to the Middle East. Uh, ambassador, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you again. Ambassador, can you tell me the difference between what you hear this deal will be as opposed to the other that was terrible? Well, uh, it's going to be, I think, the exact same thing, uh, except that we're now um, seven years down the road. I mean, seven years ago, 2015, this started, and it was a lousy deal. And just people should remember that it was opposed by a majority of of the House and the Senate. I mean, this was not popular back in 2015. And at those days, it said, well, Iran's going to have a 10-year glide path to a nuclear weapon. So now they're going to go into the same deal, except the same deal now means that Iran has a three-year glide path into a nuclear weapon, because it's just going to be exactly the same deal. Now, the, you know, the deal itself was, was also flawed because there were no inspections of, of military facilities, which is the obvious place you would think they would, they would hire a bomb. And the, and the assumption that Obama made was that, well, once Iran signs this thing, they're going to you know, join the community of nations and modulate their behavior. And they did just the opposite. They took all their money that we gave them in 2015. Instead of using it to build schools or build hospitals, they used it to uh, you know, buy ballistic missiles and foment terror from Yemen to uh, Iraq, Iran, and, and Lebanon. So it was a terrible deal then. And the Israelis proved, even with that piece of paper that they cheated, they didn't even keep to the terms of the piece of paper that they signed or, or actually didn't even sign. And now we're, we're seven years later. We learned all these things. We learned that Iran cheats. We learned that this didn't do any good to make the world a more peaceful place. And we're going to re-up it now with, with three years to go. And, and the issue, Brian, isn't so much 
the terms of the deal. Because in my view is that there's no piece of paper that could exist in the world that would keep the Iranians from building a nuclear weapon. The only reason the Iranians will keep a nuclear keep from a nuclear weapon is because they think that either America or Israel is going to blow it up. And, and since America at least has lost all power of deterrence completely in this region, maybe the whole world, you know, the only there, there's really no way to, to stop this. The question is, do we want to give them a trillion dollars? That's really the issue. I mean, because the difference between doing this deal and not doing this deal will have no impact at all on Iran's glide path to a nuclear weapon. Uh, doing this deal or not doing this deal will only impact whether we give Iran nearly a trillion dollars and they become much more powerful, much more malign, and much more capable of hurting Americans, Israelis, and, and other uh, right. people in Western civilization. Ambassador, why, uh, why, why would we get back into this deal? Many speculated because he wants to see uh, Iran's oil back in the market to bring the price of oil and gas down to get himself uh, reelected or, or, or limit the damage at, uh, at the midterms. Yeah, I mean, I think he wants to get back into the deal because, you know, because politically it's it's something that his, you know, his people approved of. You know, he was part of it in 2015. I think he wants to blame Trump. And, you know, w- one thing that, that people should realize is that, you know, people say, well, since Trump got out of the deal, uh, Iran has really moved much closer to a bomb. The, the reality is that when Trump got out of the deal, uh, Iran moved very, very slowly uh, during the Trump administration. And you remember, two years later, in 2020, uh, we assassinated Qasem Soleimani, who was the, uh, the the number one general in Iran and the number one sponsor of terror. So things were they, they were moving very slowly. Iran only started ramping up dramatically when Biden got elected, and Biden started begging for the deal. Once Biden started begging and they realized they had him and he was weak, then they began to ramp up the pressure. So, you know, there is a way out of this, you know, which is to maintain the pressure, maintain the threat of deterrence. That's how we've won our battles throughout our history, through American history. We've won our battles. We're not going to keep them from getting a bomb through any piece of paper, no matter what it says. This one is particularly bad. You know, they said they wanted something longer and stronger. This is shorter and weaker. So there's no good reason to get into this deal. It, you know, I'm, I'm terribly concerned about it for my children, for my grandchildren, for I don't know how and, we and, answer And without them. inspectors, right? We're not going to be on. We're not going to be seeing these sites ourselves. We may or may not have set up cameras, but they want to stop the investigation into them cheating on the pri- previous deal. They we, want we, that stopped. We, we, there's, no, there's, no, there's never been and there certainly won't be now any real means of holding them to their deal. I mean, the Israelis proved, you know, back a few years ago when they discovered the Iranian archive, that they cheat. I mean, they, the, the entire premise of the deal was that Iran had no designs on a nuclear weapon. And, you know, Netanyahu pulled out of uh, this warehouse all these records that showed that they were building a nuclear weapon. So uh, it, we're not going to make the world a safer place with, with a piece of paper with these guys. They're cheaters. They're, they're, they right. hate America. They hate Israel. They so hate what is Israel's reaction going to be if we sign here? I hear there's, there's, uh, they're sending people over now to try to convince Congress not to verify this, to pressure the administration not to go through with this. But what is yeah, Israel's it, it, reaction going to be? Well, look, I think, I think this, this deal will make it much more likely that we have a war in the Middle East. I think this, is, this deal not only will not bring peace, but it, will, it is likely to lead to a war, whether it's in in six months, a year, or two years, I mean, I don't know what the timeline will be. I'm sure Israel doesn't want to engage in that. But, look, there, there is no way that Israel will allow the Iranians to get a nuke. Um, you know, there's 7.5 million Jews 
uh, in Israel. They're all, there's no way that the state of Israel will allow a second Holocaust, the annihilation of, of even more Jews from the Iranians than Hitler. It's just never going to happen. So we are leading, the United States is leading the world closer to war. And whether, um, and, and unfortunately, uh, Biden, you know, begs for this deal. He shows no strength. And he, and, you know, it began in Afghanistan and it's gone ever since. We have no power of deterrence anymore. And that's a very dangerous thing for the leader of the free world when people don't fear us. And that's you, exactly what the Iranians are. You would not have had Abraham Accords. It was what sold the Sunnis uh, on the fact that you guys were sincere is the fact that they had one, we had one thing in common. Uh, and that is a, they looked at Iran as the menace of the Middle East and the problem. And yeah, that helped and, unite and help you pull off the Abraham Accords, correct? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and they also felt um, that, I mean, not only did they have an ally in Israel, but they had an ally in America. You know, we were all on the same page with the same values and the same goals. And, uh, um, you know, as much as Israel is, is irate about what, uh, what Biden is doing, so, so are the Emirates, so are the Saudis, so are all, their, all these you know, Gulf countries. Have you heard from them? I, I, I know I know that they're that they're irate. Yeah, I mean they they don't function. You know they don't work. You know the, politically the same way that Israel does. Israel's got much stronger relations in America, and Israel's going to will push this a little bit harder. But you know they're absolutely just as angry. Ambassador, the other thing is uh, they're going to have an ally, and it's going to be a super ally. They're going to decide to go with China. They go to America. Yeah. We can't depend on, even though China will be a friend of everybody, of every enemy, and every. Uh, every Western nation, if they had to, just to do deals. They don't care what Iran does, and they don't care what Saudi Arabia does politically. They just want to use them as economic uh, partners. So they'll step into the vacuum, correct? Uh, you would think so. You would think so. They, they've been, they've been, wherever they've seen a vacuum so far, they've stepped in. I mean, that's, that's been there. And they, and they play a very long game, and they'll take their time. And as, as uh, you know, the American empire continues to decline under this administration, they will see opportunities everywhere, but in particular, I think, in the Middle East. Uh, Leslie, do you, do you believe, uh, do you have an, an understanding what the last stumbling block is that would stop this thing from being signed in the next seven days? I, 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 I don't. Um, whatever it is, whatever this uh, ends up saying, uh, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, it's, it, it, there's nothing, there's no piece of paper that would be adequate but, right now. And this will be uh, massively, massively inadequate, uh, I have no doubt. Ambassador David Friedman, our guest. Ambassador, guess who takes out the weaponized uranium and gets paid to do it? Russia. Do you believe that? We are doing a deal with Russia depending on them to get out weaponized uranium and hold it in their country. And if we decide to break the deal, let's say, with a Republican president, Russia ships back the uranium. Brian, this, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond, you know, insanity, um, ridiculous. All right. Uh, Ambassador David Friedman, uh, thanks so much. I, I hope we have a different outcome, but I feel as though we're on a, a straight path uh, to sign, to, to signing this at the yeah. executive level, but I don't see Congress going along with it. Thanks, Ambassador. Thank you, Brian. Be well. Bye-bye. 1-866-408-7669. So it's another foreign policy disaster from this administration, self-inflicted, just like Afghanistan. Just like being late to, um, just like being late to Ukraine, and right now, as we admit, and the Wall Street Journal writes, we are now running out of ammunition because we've given so much to Ukraine. I back Ukraine, but not at the risk of leaving us vulnerable. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know? It's Brian Kilmeade.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As we've seen too often, public trust is frayed and is broken. And it undermines public safety when it gets frayed. It literally undermines safety. Increased trust makes policing more effective. And it strengthens public safety. And the communities, by the way, that want the police more than any other community are the tough, poor communities. Black, white, immigrants. They need the help. They want the help. So why did you defund the police nonstop? Why didn't you stand up for the cops when they needed some backing? Where were you during the campaign during this moment? Why were you not yelling at the squad to back out? You know the squad. Let's listen to them again like it's 2020. Cut to. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Yes, I support the defund movement. Talking about um, the reduction of our NYPD budget and defunding a $6 billion NYPD budget. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle. Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. Right. Uh, Defund and reimagine. I could go on for days. That's why which is so astounding to see this administration say, wait a second, let's be tougher on, on the police without any credibility because we are swimming underwater by 12 to 15 points among uh, the men and women in blue, their families, and the perception of who you back and who you don't back. So what the president wants you to do is not to believe what you know, what you see, that two, ne- two quarters of negative growth is a recession, that the border is broken, that uh, the criminal justice system is allowing criminals to commit crime after crime with zero bail without any complaints or a word from this administration, that schools were allowed to be closed because he wouldn't stand up for the union, stand up to the unions. Ari Fleischer weighed in, and he just listened to the president of the United States. Uh, and he talked about what he's asking for tomorrow. He talked about what happened the other day when he called the Republicans semi-fascist, and now he wants a day uh, where he talks about the soul of the country in Philadelphia. I hope we don't carry it because it is a campaign speech and you can't be giving network time just for campaign speeches unless we're in full campaign mode. Cut 11, Zora Fleischer. He is clearly in campaign mode. He's turning up the rhetoric to appease the left, to show anger, to flow, show flashes of anger. That's what progressives want. They want to see the fight. And he really has abandoned any talk of national unity. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much done, and he seems to be getting some positive feedback on it, so it won't stop. So Lindsey Graham came out and said, listen, if you arrest Donald Trump, if you indict Donald Trump, there's going to be riots. He's just stating a fact, is that their people feel as though the FBI and DOJ have been so all over Donald Trump from the time he ran to the time he won to the time he tried to win again, that if you go ahead and say, well, we raided his Mar-a-Lago compound, and now you're under arrest, he said there'll be blood in the streets. I think he regrets saying that. But it didn't stop Joe Biden from bringing it up. Listen to this, cut eight. And by the way, no one expects politics to be a patty cake. It sometimes gets mean as hell. But the idea you turn on a television and see senior senators and congressmen saying, if such and such happens, there'll be blood in the street. Where the hell are we? Let me tell you, for a guy that basically used the term Jim Crow 2.0 to decide to talk about the reforms in Georgia. Those weren't inflammatory words that get people's ire up and remember that horrible time. Here's Lindsey Graham to put his comments and the vice president's comments 
And the president's comments in perspective. Cut 13. The crime problem in this country is directly related to the policies of Democrats in big cities and in the White House. And the reason so many people don't want to be a cop is they don't believe anybody in this administration has their back. And if you want to talk about political violence, I reject it. I reject it on January the 6th. I reject it in Portland. I reject it in New York City. So why don't you talk, President Biden, to your own vice president? You know, one way to encourage political violence is to bail out people who attack the cops on the streets of New York and Black Lives Matter riots. Yeah, and to bail out the cops is what the vice president did. And that's her track record. And we're seeing it over and over in New York where we're located. And you're seeing it in Chicago and you're seeing it especially in Philadelphia. And the cops will tell you themselves, I'm not going to waste my time and arrest somebody if they're going to get out on zero cash bail. It doesn't make sense to even do the paperwork in the current system. And the governors running these states and the mayors running these states are almost all Democrats and they will not stand up to their legislature. The mayor speaks out, the legislature pushed back, and he just takes the loss. It's insane. Speaking about taking the loss, there's a couple of things going on right now that I want you to keep your eye on. Herschel Walker is not losing. He's winning in Georgia. Dr. Oz is not down by 24 points against Fetterman, not by a long shot. Watch out for people trying to push an outcome by saying an outcome the die has been cast and they're giving up. You look at the headline today on Drudge and it said basically throwing in the towel with Dr. Oz. No, it's not. They're going to help him out, to help his campaign out because the Republican Party is not unified but he's within striking distance of a, uh, a deeply compromised candidate in Fetterman who did not even show up for the president of the United States who came to Pennsylvania. Selena Zito notices that this guy will not commit to a debate. In fact, he walked away from a request for five debates from Dr. Oz. She writes for the Washington Examiner. Listen to this. She knows he's not healthy. He had a stroke at 24. And I think what what um, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman revealed in that statement was that he is not fully recovered and he does have issues. And I think that that's something the Pennsylvania press corps should certainly be addressing about a sitting lieutenant governor, let alone a candidate for U.S. Senate. This is a seat that you hold for six years. If you cannot debate, then what is your cognitive ability? abilities to be able to fulfill the duties of your office. I'm not saying that is not the case. However, it's not an issue that has yeah. been fully vetted. And that's the challenge for Pennsylvania voters. They can vote for whoever they wish. However, they need to have all the information in front of them. And that's something they don't have currently. They don't. Dr. Oz is bringing it out, but you got to be somewhat sensitive. If you're a doctor, you can't say this guy's adult. But he can't get a sentence out. He's not comfortable on his feet. He'll make almost no appearances. And we just had a president win and had the pandemic block. It's not his fault. It wasn't. It was fortuitous for him. So he stayed in his basement, didn't campaign. And now we have a president clearly can't get two sentences out. In fact, he said Fetterman was running for governor yesterday instead of senator. The big guy running for governor. No, he's not running for governor. That's why part of the reason why you don't want to show up with the president. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from 48th and 6th in beautiful uh, Manhattan. Uh, around the world, we're heard, of course, in the Ukraine, too, where there's a war raging. And it looks as though Ukraine's getting back on the offensive. Kind of cool, maybe for the first time. Martha McCallum will join us to expand on this. Got a real passion for that. i got to uh, urge you guys, too, to meet me in Albany at The Egg. I'll be talking about this, the news, as well as America's history from 1776 on. Uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, get the VIP seat so I can talk to you before the show and after. So uh, that'll be September 8th. So for now, before we get to Mark Penn, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI clearly made a connection of Russian disinformation and the Hunter Biden release. The politics of their agents not being able to contain it in-house is causing them to say, we better do something. Uh, Right. Uh, That was Brett Tolman, FBI in crisis, and we are all in danger of not having the esteemed agency fighting for us. We have the latest on the disgraced agents and a failed director. Number two. As for the Trump team's desire to have a special master appointed, well, the feds say, quote, the plaintiff's motion to appoint a special master enjoined further review of seized materials fails for multiple independent reasons. Wow, there you go, Kevin Cork. The raid raucous. The DOJ fights back in a fear of a special master. Why? Why not have neutral observer go in there and, and reaffirm your strong case, citing shoddy records and deceptive stashing of important records at Mar-a-Lago as Trump bolsters his legal team? Number one. There's no place in this country, no place, for endangering the lives of law enforcement. I'm opposed to defunding the police. I'm also opposed to defunding the FBI. President desperate to get his numbers up in Pennsylvania. Uh, breaking news. Joe Biden and the Dems are tough on crime. I'm not kidding. Uh, yeah. Why is uh, why crime is rising every day, big and small cities, since he took office? Well, Republicans, uh, stop laughing. Let's make sure no one understand, uh, people understand that the Dems tell us the border is sealed. It's not. That bill that we talked to reduce inflation, it doesn't. It's a, it's a uh, climate bill. And we're not in a recession. And Afghanistan's exit was a success. Look out. Things may not be as they appear. Mark Penn appears to be ready to go, chairman of the Harris Poll and chief executive of Stagwell, Inc. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Mark, what about the the president's uh, message in Pennsylvania over these next few days, including tomorrow, where he's going to heal our soul? Well, look, I I, I think his crime message was long overdue. I mean, he recycled the program that that, uh, President Clinton had, 100,000 cops, which was a good program. Uh, I urge that he do this about uh, six, eight months ago, maybe a year ago. Uh, and, of course, this is being done at the last minute in the election, you know, and, and it pretty much goes against everything else that's been set up to now. So, uh, you know, you can't say that the president isn't making a strong effort here. You know, he's, he, they're coming down to the election season. They pulled out all the stops with uh, with uh, the student debt that come up with 100,000. You know, Democrats are, are putting up a fight, and, and that's what you're seeing. Here's, here's what he's also bringing up, this whole MAGA thing. I assume it's been poll tested. Cut five. No one should be encouraged to use political violence. None whatsoever. And look, you know, if we're in a situation where, to this day, the MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, defend them. Well, it's not accurate, uh, but the MAGA Republicans is a common phrase. What about the strategy, forget about who you're going to vote for, the strategy of dividing Republicans 
Look, I, I really don't like this strategy in terms of our in terms of our country. It, it is the opposite of what President Biden said he was going to do. He's going to be a president for everybody. He was going to try to bring everybody together. Uh, I, you know, this is really the opposite. Look, I can tell you the, the in the polling and the politics of what's going on here. Uh, you know, the last congressional election was basically 50-50, even though the president now, instead of being as high as 60, is now at about 40. So so there's about 10 percent here of the country that voted Democratic congressionally last time, you know, don't like President Biden, don't like inflation and all these issues. Uh, and all Democrats have to do is hold on to those voters. So the strategy here to hold on to those voters is to make them fear the Republicans more than they fear, uh, you know, what the continued governance by the Democratic Party. And the Republicans Party so far hasn't also reached out. Look, what, the, what do the Republicans have to do? They have to get to get over 50. They have to get soft Democrats and they have to reach out to them. So, you know, I'm all for strategies that reach out to swing voters. I think that makes the country better. I'm, I'm really disappointed by the by this approach here of extreme name calling against Republicans. I, I don't think that that ultimately helps the country. What's going on with the border? Mark, I don't think you need anybody to tell you that's watching what's happened over the last two years and see the people streaming in at staggering numbers between two and four million, 800,000 gotaways. The drug busts are mind boggling. That's the stuff we get. And the president never in his life has he been to the border. Is he going to get a pass on this as more and more refugees show up in D.C., flown in and bust in to New York and to uh, from Arizona as well. I mean, at one point, when's the administration going to look at a pie chart that says we have to do something? Well, look, this is clearly a deliberate policy. It's not like they're sitting there in the White House and they don't know what's happening. Well, well the, the, the press secretary said she doesn't know what happened. She says you can't just walk into the country. Well, I've worked in the White House. Uh, they they know the numbers. They know what's going on, and and so you know it's a matter of national policy. It's quite obvious that it, that that that's the case. And look, you you look when it comes to the issue of immigration and voters who vote on immigration. You know the the administration is is under you know ex, extremely underwater. Right, they're they're losing those voters. You know the question is how big an issue will this play out in the midterms? With inflation, crime, abortion, guns, Trump, you know, floating in the mix here. But but there's no question that most voters want want strong borders. They also want an immigration system that works. They want to have some compassion to people who came years ago or came as children. They've been for comprehensive immigration reform for a long time. Uh, and, and they definitely oppose what's going on here right now. I just don't understand how uh, letting everybody in. We're seeing something, Mark, that maybe even you didn't predict, talking to Mark Penn, chairman of the Harris Poll, and that is that the Hispanic vote that nobody seems to be talking about right now is almost 50-50, according to almost every poll. The gap is really narrowing to single digits at the very least. That's stunning. That's better than Bush 43. And you would think if you, if you open up the border, the Hispanic community would say with a wink and a nod, thank you. Instead, they're saying, what are you doing, it seems? What are you seeing? Well, I, I'm not seeing it as clear cut as that. Look, there is definitely, when you look at the polls, some Latino or Hispanic movement to the Republicans. No question about that. You see some of the races in Florida and Texas, you know, where, where that has really counted at the polls. 
Uh, you see people in Texas really upset about, you know, people being, you know, pay their bills, pay their mortgages, you know, and then and then an influx of people who aren't able to do any of that at massive levels, raising taxes. So the closer people are to the problem uh, of, of immigration, the more likely they are to vote. And that includes, you know, Latinos and, and voters of all types. So I think that's that is what you're saying. You, you are seeing a switch in Latino vote that I think uh, no one really anticipated until that happened. But again, we haven't had an election yet. You know, can the Republicans bring it home? Do they have a message and a messenger who really, at the end of the day, will make them feel comfortable? That will make a big difference in a lot of races. You're the pro. But the way I look at it is when it comes to Senate, it's almost like boxing. You know, they say you're a great boxer, you're a great boxer, but matchups make fights. How do they match up with each other? And I look at uh, with uh, Warnock and Walker and Oz and Fetterman in particular, uh, they also want to uh, talk about maybe Arizona being in play, uh, excuse me, Colorado being in play, Arizona, you have Blake Masters and Kelly. I just saw a poll in Arizona that says Masters was in three of Kelly. I saw uh, a poll, the Emerson poll has Walker up on Warnock and then Oz down by about eight to Fetterman. Fetterman's situation is fascinating because he's had a stroke that stops him from really campaigning and speaking, and he turned down a debate because he says he's not ready yet. Listen to Celine Zito of Washington Examiner, Cut 24. And I think what what um, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman revealed in that statement was that he is not fully recovered and he does have issues. And I think that that's something the Pennsylvania press corps should certainly be addressing about a sitting lieutenant governor, let alone a candidate for U.S. Senate. And, and having said that, have you remember a similar circumstance to this? The pandemic stopped Joe Biden from campaigning and it worked to his advantage. Fetterman, who leans more Bernie Sanders than moderate, is he going to get a pass on this? Well, look, that that race is still developing. You know, Oz was a, a much more difficult, you know, candidate than than McCormick. He he seems to be getting, you know, some footing. You know, Fetterman when he's got out there, he's he's strong, you know, on his feet. He he revs up a crowd. Um, you know, again. The race is going to have to play itself out. I mean, you see, when Georgia, I mean, I did think Georgia would 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 switch around. I I did think that that in, that Warnock is basically being seen as far too liberal, and, and I do think there's a gravitation, you know, around around Walker, and and that has really been a turnaround that people didn't expect. Although I thought that would happen. I think the Oz thing is going to have to, you know, close here at the end if he's going to win. Remember, Senate polling last time was wildly inaccurate, right? It just, you know, if you look at things like, you know, no one thought that, you know, McConnell and, and uh, you know, Lindsey Graham and, and all these races where people spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and Susan Collins were going to come out the way they actually came out. Joni Ernst. So, you know, you know, none of them, none of them did. So let's for now assume the polling is 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 fairly accurate. Uh, I I do think Oz has an uphill climb here. He's got to both, uh, you know, establish who he is and what he's for and how he's going to work for Pennsylvania. At the same time, you know, he's going to have to, you know, paint Fetterman as too extreme. I I don't think telling telling people that Fetterman had a stroke, you know, frankly, people are more sympathetic to that. Uh, I think that's a that's a bad strategy 
uh, you know, as opposed to dealing with him just on the issues. Uh, and, and whereas I think I think Walker is, is coming up quite strongly and it's likely to win. That's so interesting, too, because having seen Walker, every time I read an article, there's some disparaging thing they're saying. I'm saying to myself, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's almost an open. It's almost like opposition research in the so-called reporting on him. But I just want to bring you to Fetterman for a second. Uh, the way he profiles, it's perfect for a Republican. You would think he's against fracking. Um, he's against voter I.D., um, I don't believe that most of the stuff he has is moderate. And now listen to him on the stump. Let me ask you a question. If you say you think the word of steel worker, what words come to your mind if you say steel workers? What is wrong with demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income, a path to a safe place for them to win, or excuse me, to, to work. Okay. You know, uh, you might not say, hey, he had a stroke, be easy. But if you're Dr. Oz, you want to say, I'm ready for the job and I can do the job. You have to wonder if he can do the job. And if you are strategizing and that is your opponent, Mark, and I hired you and I'm running against Fetterman and that's him on the stump. What do you, how do you handle it? How do you handle it uh, the right way? Well, but, but I think that's my point. You know, Americans are sympathetic to people's attacks on that. I mean, you know, you may remember Bob Dole. I worked on. I, I had did an attack ad, and the president had me pull it. You, you know, uh, I, I think it's best dealt with by saying, "Look, he may he's recovering from a stroke. You know, I wish him well. The truth is." He's too far to the left for us. He doesn't believe in the things that will give us jobs here in Pennsylvania. You know, stop crime in Philadelphia. You know, give us roads out in the western part of the state. He believes in things that will do that. I mean, I think the way to go at him is what you said before, not to try to paint him as, as, as you know, can't do it because he, he gets lost because we've got a president, after all, who's elected. So that clearly didn't work. Uh, and I think Americans have a lot of sympathy for somebody who's recovering from something. All right. Mark Penn, always interesting. Uh, when are you doing enough that next batch of polls? Right after Labor Day. Okay. How much is Most it going to cost important me? polls, I always say people sit around Labor Day, they talk politics, and then they come back with some opinion. And then you come back here, I hope. Mark Penn, thanks so much. Harris Poll. Uh, Thank you. You got it. When we come back, I'll take your calls. I want to find out what you have to say. That's the people poll. one 408 7669 You also could write me at BrianKillMe.com. I'm getting a ton of these uh, emails, and I'll try to get through a lot of them. At the bottom of the hour, uh, Martha McCallum. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 Let's go to WABC right here in New York. Gracie, what's on your mind? Hi, Brian. I think you're really terrific. Thank Listen, you. Though. Uh, okay, the main question for, for Republicans is this. All of us, question, are you better now or were you better two years ago? And obviously we were better two years ago. And if, if these people are going to vote 
for, for example, the guy in Pennsylvania, uh, because we feel sorry for him, then we deserve what we get. I know. I know. Right? You, I didn't if, like but what if you, But what if you, Gracie, what if you're running against him? That's what he's saying, that you don't vote for him because you feel sorry for him. But if you're running against him, you want to point out that he's clearly not ready for the job. But do you say, listen, he just had a stroke, he's not ready? Or do you say he is Bernie Sanders? Pennsylvania would never elect Bernie Sanders. Why would you elect Fetterman? He endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2016. He is against fracking. He thinks that it's racist to ask people for a photo ID when 85% of the country believes you should have a, uh, you should have a photo ID. So this guy's way to the left, never had a real job in his life, wants to legalize pot because he smokes it all the time and can't even wear a suit. So if this is really what Pennsylvania wants, I'd be surprised. Do you need to point out that he's not that he can't even handle a debate. The bigger story is Dr. Oz needs the debate. So you can't show compassion with to the point where he can't debate. But the fact that he says, I'm not recovered yet, makes you wonder what is going to make him recovered in two months when they actually hire people to do this job. And isn't this an audition? Uh, thanks, Gracie. Adam, all, uh, also listening on ABC, but in Connecticut. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. Um, I think, you know, I uh, had supported uh, President Trump uh, up until recently, but I think at this point it's just going to be uh, kind of a noose around the neck of the Republican Party. In what way? Especially in light of, well, I think, you know, look, it's, it is clear that he was uh, holding on to uh, documents that were not his and against uh, a subpoena from the FBI. That is legally damaging. In a way. Uh, but is it worthy of a raid? Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've said all along as a physician, I have tremendous empathy and compassion for how challenging it is to bounce back from a stroke. I offered John Fetterman numerous opportunities to explain to me how I can make it easier for him to debate. But at this point, since he's given numerous reasons for not showing up, including the fact that he didn't have time on his schedule, I'm of the opinion that he's hiding his radical views because he is the furthest far-left radical candidate on any competitive Senate race this cycle, and he doesn't want those views to be exposed. I don't blame him for saying that. I don't blame him for saying that at all. I mean, that's if you're, you're Oz, you're looking to close the gap, but I think he is. I think he's within five for sure. And I think the best thing that Dr. Oz can do while he continues to pressure Fetterman to do something that every other Senate candidate's doing. You know, it's not like he's, it's Chuck Grassley. He's had the job for 40 years. You know where I stand. You really need to debate me? Uh, come on, please. I mean, you got Fetterman who's never had the job before or a job, Lieutenant Governor Pryor, and then he gets the stroke. He, he runs a primary where he never trailed or gets a more moderate candidate, which I thought would have been a tougher hoe for McCormick or for Dr. Oz. And then you want to make some ground. Instead, you have his social media people just taking shots at you, rolling clips from your TV show. And for the most part, I think the shots about the TV show, I think they make him look small, and he's about 6'7", so it says a lot. So what, what, what Oz has to do is seal up his Republican donors, uh, seal up his Republican voters, seal up his Republican lawmakers, because there's a lot in Pennsylvania. And for a while, they said Pennsylvania is uh, not really possible for a Republican presidential candidate. In 2016, it went to Trump. He thought he was going to have it again. He narrowly lost Pennsylvania 
uh, and it has a lot to do with the Republican, the Democratic governor changing the rules on voting, in my humble opinion. No proof. Humble opinion because you were able to do mail-in voting. People who voted early tend to vote for the Democrats. People who vote on the day who weren't worried about the pandemic or didn't vote at all, the seniors were definitely going to Trump. They, they would just stay home. So maybe that cost them a few states, possibly Georgia and Pennsylvania. We will see. Right now, if you look at Georgia, the president's over Biden by five. If you look at Herschel Walker by two, and Kemp is up by six. Now, in Pennsylvania, I find it interesting that, that they say Oz is down by 12. There's no way he's down by 12, and here's why. Because you're voting for a guy. All of a sudden, Pennsylvania likes a guy that is a socialist, Likes a guy that has a history of being hostile towards law enforcement, regardless of what he says. Likes a guy that really has no specific accomplishments except for his parents were rich and had a, got a job as lieutenant governor prior. You like a guy that doesn't wear a suit. You like a guy you feel bad for him because he had a stroke. You like a guy that doesn't frack. It's not even close. Not even close. So I find Pennsylvania really uh, manning. And O'Day in Colorado seems to be... Enough to, they didn't have any poll numbers in this story, but the New York Times talked about, New York Times, Colorado being suddenly in play for Republicans. They want to say momentum is swinging towards Democrats because of uh, Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision that nullified Roe v. Wade and turned it down to the states. And it did. It motivated people. But it doesn't mean people forgot about the border, forgot about crime, forgot about Afghanistan, forgot about these ridiculous spending bills, forgot about inflation, forgot about gas prices. Uh, Forgot about how much more your oil and heating bill is, your utility bill. That's the hidden thing. People walk in, they get their utility bill. They know they didn't do anything different. Yeah, they maybe use their air conditioner a little more than in August and July, maybe a little less. But the number almost doubled up 40%. That's pretty huge. So these are the things that's happened under President Biden, who didn't learn anything except to spend more, who wants to take a bow wants to take a bow and say, look what I've done. Yeah, you've done things to your party, thanks to Joe Manchin. But you haven't done things for the country. And what I think is most significant is what's happening, arguably the most significant, or 1A or 1B, is what's happening at the border. And not only are people coming through by the millions, and I got some numbers here about different countries, but it's also fentanyl. And a lot of people who who uh, look at the drug situation say, well, my kid's not a drug addict. I know people that are. That's weakness. Or I know people that are alcoholics. I understand that. Not me, but I understand it. But when fentanyl, same thing. It's just a different drug. It's like heroin. But no, it's not true. If you take Ritalin because you want to concentrate more in a test, if you want to take Xanax, I believe, because you want to relax, if you uh, take certain drugs and then you don't want to go to the doctor or the pharmacist, you can order them online. But when they come in online... They come in with fentanyl, one and done, and it happens. Derek Maltz weighed in last night with Tucker. I've interviewed him before on TV, too. Former DAA special operator. And they are getting so much fentanyl at the border, it is stunning even for him. As he tries to put this all in perspective and tell you exactly how fentanyl gets into our country. Hold on tight. Cut 27. The Mexican cartels are inundating our country with these poisonous, deadly fentanyl pills And now today, the DEA administrator put out a warning about all the rainbow-colored pills that they're seizing all over the country. But behind the scenes, you have the Chinese Communist Party that are looking to destabilize this country by killing the kids. It's that simple. And President Biden today in Pennsylvania is out there at a political speech, and he finally mentioned the word fentanyl. After all these years, now two years almost, he finally mentions fentanyl when we have kids 
as young as 13 years old dying every day in their houses around the country, and the parents just can't believe it. They're angry. Yeah, they're angry, and they're overwhelmed. Now, think about this. In all these classes, even here in New York City, definitely in Washington, D.C., they're all overrun with kids. Might be great kids. They don't speak English, so they need extra services. Uh, They get buses. They get equipment. They get notebooks. Got compassion, but it's not the way you come here. In El Salvador, in 2020, there were 17,000 illegals that came. Now it's 84,000. Honduras, 2020, 41,000 came. Sounds like a lot. In 2022, it's not even over yet, 182,000. Colombia had just 404 people come here in Colombia. Now 97,000. As that government goes towards socialists, look for more. Venezuela, it's a mess. 2,700 came in 2020 under Trump. Now 128,000, 175,000 Cubans. It was 13,000. That's this president. That's the track record. If you like, if you, you're into climate change, do not vote for a Republican. I get it. If you want your student loan forgiven and you're in that narrow area of people with 10 to 20,000, especially Pell Grants, okay, vote for somebody else. But if you're looking for people that are tough on crime, if you're looking for people that want to crack down on the border, you're looking for people that want a tough defense, if you're looking for people that never would have left Afghanistan that way or signed off on this Iranian deal, do not pretend that these Democratic candidates are going to do any of that because they absolutely will not. And when it comes to the economy and student loans, I think that whole thing is backfiring, totally backfiring, because more people I know are excluded, people that decide, yeah, I'm not, college is not for me, I'm not going to do it, I just don't want to take out a loan, I'm going to go to work. Or I paid off my loan. I feel so proud. And now everyone says, really? So you think you're helping us by taking 20, 10 to 20,000 off? And I'm not even sure they used the 10, 20,000 on school. I'm hearing these anecdotal stories. Yeah, these guys went out on vacation. Yeah, they, they went to Aruba. They went overseas. They went to, they went to make sure they had a spring break to want to remember. Think about that when you're working. Stephen Moore was on with Larry Kudlow last night, actually done with Sean Duffy last night filling in for Larry Kudlow. Cut 29. Look, this has been a debacle, a real political debacle for the Biden administration. Uh, This was supposed to be a big political winner. uh, And now it looks like he's laid an egg. And it's because people have really revolted against this. They're really angry about the idea of the unfairness of this. And so now they're trying to figure out, well, should the should this be taxed as a uh, as like if you have a loan and it's written off, that's oftentimes considered a taxable event. That's something for the IRS to determine. But when you're talking about 300 to $500 billion of loan forgiveness, that's a lot of tax revenue. Yeah, uh, I, I just don't see there was a reason why President Biden didn't want to do it. Chuck Schumer wanted to do it. Senator Elizabeth Warren wanted to do it. These are extremist views. These are not mainstream views. So these are very, very liberal people. This is AOC wanted everything forgiven. Uh, Bernie Sanders says, why are you stopping here? Because there's a deal in society. I'm sure Bernie Sanders, when he got his farmhouse and his regular house, I'm pretty sure he had a mortgage. And I'm pretty sure he didn't expect, I'm pretty sure he didn't expect people to walk into the middle of it and says, you know, uh, you don't have enough spending money to buy a suit that fits. So I think we should just forgive 100000 of your mortgage. And keep in mind, when it comes to loans, we already froze them for over a year. You didn't have to pay them for over a year. Then when they come back, you don't owe as much. The trick there, in my view, was you cut the interest rate. 
Cliff listening in Panama City, which I've been to with Lee Bryce. Hey, Cliff. Hey, hey bud. Hi, man. Hey, man, I want this question to be all over America uh, in about a month. But I want somebody to start asking the question. What do you say to the people? Now, this is a question asking the the Biden administration. What do you say to the people that are trying to come here legally? Great question. What do you say? You say do do it the right way. Our system's broken. Republicans won't fix it. That's what they would hit you with. But they don't have a good answer to that, Cliff. And I, I use it all the time. And because I know people that go from Brazil. I know people just from the soccer community, Ireland and Italy. It's a lot of money. And you got to wait. And you got to take tests. And if you're a green card holder and you do something dumb like drink and drive, you're done. You're out. Uh, and they check your background checks all the time. You shoplifting, not that anybody knows shoplifts. But let's say you're in the wrong place at the right time. You get in a bar fight. Whatever happens, you can't avoid it. That You look to one to blame. You're done. So you actually well, win. I mean, so, and, and this is what these are what people do. I mean, the system needs to be reformed. Cliff, we have 11 million open jobs. We've got 5 million without jobs. That's a problem. But those 6 million open jobs, I know so many restaurateurs, so do you, that just are looking for staff, hardworking people. If we could reform the system and make it easier to get a work visa, you come, you work, you go home, you establish yourself. We say, man, that guy's a cabinet maker and he's pretty strong. He was a really good apprentice. They got, he's got a sponsor now to bring him here. He's tried out for two years. He's doing things right. He, you know, he didn't break the law using mass transportation. Uh, he's, he's helping out. This guy needs to be here, let alone join the military. But I can't get to that point because he won't watch the border. And all these other illegals here have jumped ahead in line. So we are so far from from doing things like that, and that is reforming the process to make it easier for our first-round draft picks at Stanford uh, and, uh, and Princeton to stay here. I want them to stay here. We educated just stay here. Uh, make Apple better. Make the next startup fantastic. Find out a way to get the car better than ever. Uh, the innovations that could come from people that train here, they should stay here. Right now they got to go. That makes no sense. All right, listen, I'm going to come back and find out if there's indeed more to know. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. you believe this? Governor Hochul saying, get out of town. Trump, Molinari, and Zeldin, get out of town. Any conservative, go to Florida. So Governor DeSantis weighed in and said, you got to be kidding me. That's what you do if people don't agree with you? Get out? Look, Florida's taking half New York anyway. But Mayor Adams, to his credit, the first thing he said is, I want everybody to come back out of Florida and come back to New York. What is she doing? I mean, is she just saying this three-to-one Democrats over Republicans, I'll act tough and do this? But by the way, if you do this, you shouldn't be doing it for self grant, uh, uh, you know, to be famous or to be powerful. This should be service. And if you're servicing America, not the Democratic Party, that statement should repulse you. And it repulses me. I think if Lee Zeldin came out and said, I don't want any Democrat voting for me, and it was three to one in his favor, I would think that's repulsive too. I mean, Joe Biden is saying, calling Republicans, MAGA Republicans, semi-fascists, 
just horrendous. What's sad is maybe they poll tested this and it works. If it works, it's terrible, terrible for the country, which I think should matter. Let me find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right. Uh, weather permitting, NASA targeting Saturday for another Artemis One launch, a launch attempt after resolving the rocket engine problems. They had a little bit of an issue on, uh, on Monday. Artemis One mission managers announced Tuesday, uh, rather, that teams are preparing for a second attempt uh, to launch later on in the week. Uh, we got to get to the moon again. And we got to get back. We're going to practice. Powerful rocket, rocket. Can you imagine what we could do with the video technology? We got to get back there. Guess who else is going? China. Very secretive program. Uh, half the stuff is probably from us. Next, pumpkin spice latte. This is serious stuff. Uh, consumers love it because there's brain science behind it. At least $500 million is, is spent on pumpkin spice flavored items in the United States each year. So why do we love it? Because it turns out we love to be reminded of the fall and warm feelings of family, home, and nostalgia. Matt Johnson, a Boston-based psychologist who specializes in the application of psychology to marketing, shared insights into the neuroscience and the marketing around our love of this particular flavor. Does this make sense to you now, Pete? Well, now we understand how your brain works. And it is working. Yes, to a degree, when you have pumpkin spice in your system. Then it kickstarts you. Next. Which you never get me, by the way. Uh, everything. You get me everything rocky. Uh, Gutfeld makes history. It unseats Stephen Colbert as the new king of late night. This is stunning. Uh, Gutfeld with a 219 uh, defeats the late night show with the late show with Stephen Colbert, who replaced David Letterman with 2.15. It was the first month since 2017 that Colbert didn't finish first. August was the most watched month for Gutfeld since it's launched in 2021. The Fox News program outdrew Jimmy Kimmel easily. And the Tonight Show just across the street, and the Daily Show's unwatchable. Gutfeld more than double the average audience for CNN's most watched show. That's Anderson Cooper, who's hysterical and knee slapper. Average only 950,000. How do you explain this? Well, I do know that somebody named Brian Kilmeade did uh, fill in, and, I, and that was in this month, in the past uh, week or week and a half. Last ago. Wednesday. So that I didn't has, hurt. That has that? helped, I think, put him over the top. Because notice, it was, it's August. It didn't happen in July. It happened. And when I w- you joined. Right. I, I, I think I played a role. Dana had the highest marks. So okay. she beat me. I was second. Okay. I, I hung in there on Wednesday. So uh, that, that very nice. I'm, for one thing, it's funny. It's creative. Uh, they're having a good time every night. They take the stories in the news, but they have fun. But, I watch a little of the other shows just to get a handle on this. And no one's laughing. They clap. I'm like, what are you clapping for? Well, Donald Trump's terrible this way. Donald Trump's awful that way. We found documents this way. Okay, I can get that on the news channels. Greg takes that with a great staff and gives it an angle. And it's got a great uh, little, you know, he's always got a good pound, really good pound. What makes it more amazing is, which, which I know everybody talks about, how there's fewer, uh, oper- uh, fewer televisions that get Fox compared to NBC and uh, CBS and ABC. And he, still, and he still wins. That's what's amazing. Imagine if he had the same reach as the networks, how much more he'd pull in. Next, Alec Baldwin lands his first job since the Rush shooting. He says he's been fired from quite a few. I feel terrible for him. A source uh, revealed to the Post that the play will is called Art. It's going to be opening up in the spring, so I guess he's got to practice. He said he was all set to do a movie, and he got fired. He's going to be on with Tony Shalhoub, uh, John Legazano, and somebody else I can't pronounce. But I don't know. Does he want to stay in Broadway? I guess he has to. He's now having his seventh kid. Seven. Seventh kid. Let alone the other kid that grew then, up and then, he was yelling at, right? Yeah, yep. She's not mad at him anymore, is she? No, everything seems to be good. Next. Uh, Elon Musk still can't figure out if he's going to buy Twitter or not. He's amended a filing. He's got a complaint 
Um, he says that he paid too much for it. Uh, they accepted his $44 billion acquisition, and ever since then, he's been complaining about it. I think he just wants to get out of it. I think he realized it's overvalued, and also the market tanked, and he was re- wasn't he reselling a lot of Tesla stock, yep. which is worth less now? Yeah, and, and this is something that uh, President Trump is right about. He had said, if you remember, about a couple of months ago that Musk will not buy. Uh... Right. I would love for him to buy Twitter, though. It would be, I think it would yeah. be great. To listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, don't go to BrianKilmeade.com. September 8th, Albany at the Egg. Meet me there. VIP tickets. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.